Section six of Revelations of a Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. Chapter six A Maid and Model. The chiming of the clock, an hour after Dicky had gone to the studio, after our little noon dinner next day, warned me that I was not dressed and that the cooks whose advertisements I had answered might call at any minute. I dressed and arranged my hair. Just as I put in the last hairpin, the bell rang. Two women, covertly eyeing each other with suspicion, stood in the hallway when I opened the door. To my invitation to come in, each responded, Thank you, and the entrance of both was quiet. When they sat down in the chairs I drew forward for them, I mentally appraised them for a moment. One was a middle-aged woman of strongly marked German type. Clean, trig, grim, she spelled efficiency in every line of her body. The other, a tall Polish girl of perhaps twenty-two, was also extremely neat, but her pretty brown hair was blown around her face, and her blue eyes were fairly dancing with eagerness in contrast to the stolid expression of the other woman. As I faced them, the older woman compressed her lips in a thin line, while the girl smiled at me in friendly fashion. "'You came in answer to the advertisements?' I queried. The older woman silently held forth my letter and two or three other papers pinned together. I saw that they were references written in varying feminine chirography. Her silence was almost uncanny. "'Oh, yes, missus,' the Polish girl exclaimed. "'I put my—what do you call it—my—advertisement?' I suggested, smiling. Her good nature was infectious. "'Oh, yes, advertisement, in the paper, Sunday. Today your letter came, the first letter. I guess hard times now. Nobody wants maids. I come right quick.' I can do good work, very good. I have good references. You got made yet? Not yet, I answered, and turned to the other woman. According to all my theories and my training, I should have chosen the older woman. Efficiency always has been an idol of mine. It was my slogan in my profession. It was my humiliation that I seemed to have none of it in my housework. The German woman evidently was capable of administering my household much better than I could do it. Perhaps it was because of this very reason that I found myself repelled by her, and subtly drawn by the younger woman's smiling enthusiasm. "'Have you much company, and does your husband bring home friends without notice?' the older woman's harsh tones broke in. The questions turned the scale. From the standpoint of strict justice, the standard from which I always had tried to reason, she was perfectly justified in asking the questions before she took the place. But intuition told me that our home life would be a dreary thing with this martinet in the kitchen. "'That will not trouble you,' I said, "'for I do not believe I wish your services. Here is your car fare, and thank you for coming.' The woman took the car fare with the same stolidity she had shown through the whole interview. "'I do not think I would like you for a madam, either,' 
she said quietly as she went out. The Polish girl bounced from her seat as soon as the door was closed. "'She no good to talk to you like that!' she exclaimed. "'She old crank, anyway. You not like her. See me. I young, strong. I cook, wash, iron, clean. I do everything. You do nothing. I cook good, too. Not so much fancy, but awful good. My last madam, I with her one year. She sick, go south yesterday.' She cry, say, I so sorry, Katie, you've been so good to me. I cry, too. Read what she say about me. I could read between the lines of the rather odd letter of recommendation the girl handed me. I had dealt with many girls of Katie's type in my teaching days. I knew the childish temper, the irritating curiosity, the petty jealousy, the familiarity which one not understanding would deem impertinence, with which I would have to contend if I engaged her. But the other applicant for my work, the grim vision who had just left, decided me. I would try this eager girl if her terms were reasonable, and they were. As I preceded her into the kitchen, I had a sudden qualm. I knew Dicky's fastidious taste and that underneath all his good-natured unconventionality he had rigid ideas of his own upon some topics. I happened to remember that nothing made him so nervous and irritable as bad service in a restaurant. His idea of a good waiter was a well-trained automaton with no eyes or ears. How would he like this enthusiastic, irrepressible girl? It was too late now, however. I was committed to a week of her service. I had a luxurious afternoon. Katie in the kitchen sang softly over her work some minor-cadenced Polish folk song, and I nestled deep in an armchair by the sunniest window, dipped deep into the pages of magazines and newspapers which I had not read. I realized with a start that I was out of touch with the doings of the outside world, something which had not happened to me before for years, save in the few awful days of my mother's last illness. I really must catch up again. I was so deep in a vivid description of the desolation in Belgium that I did not hear Dicky enter. I started as he kissed me. "'Headache better, sweetheart?' he added, lover-like, remembering and making much of the slight headache I had had when he left that morning. It must be, or you wouldn't be able to read that horror. He closed the magazine playfully and drew me to my feet. I am perfectly well, I replied, and I have good news for you. We have a maid, a trifle rough in her manner, but one who I think will be very good. "'That's fine,' Dickie said heartily. "'I'd much rather come home to find you comfortably reading "'than scorching your face and reddening your hands in a kitchen.' "'Say, Mrs. Graham!' Katie came swiftly into the room, "'and I heard an exclamation of surprise from Dickie. "'Why, Katie, wherever did you come from?' "'But Katie, with the scream of fear, "'her face white with terror, backed into the kitchen.' I heard her opening the door where she had put her hat and cloak, then the slamming of the kitchen door. I looked at Dicky in amazement. 
What did it all mean? He caught up his hat and dashed to the front door. Quick, Madge, he called. Follow her out the kitchen door as fast as you can. I'll meet you at the servant's entrance. I wouldn't let her get away for a hundred dollars. I obeyed Dicky's instructions, but with a feeling of disgust creeping over me. I had always hated a scene, and this performance savored too much of moving pictures melodrama to suit me. I hurried down the two flights of stairs and on toward the servant's entrance. I was almost there when Katie came flying back, almost into my arms. "'Oh, Mrs. Graham!' she moaned. "'You kind lady, I pay it all back. I always have it with me. Don't let him put me in prison.' I work, work my fingers to the bone for you, if you only not let him put me in prison. Dicky came up behind us. As she saw him, she shrank closer to me in a pitiful, frightened way, and put out both her hands as if to push him away. Don't be frightened, Katie, he said. Come to the house and tell me about it. Bring her into the living room and get her quieted before I talk to her suggested Dicky as he disappeared into his room after I got her upstairs. Bewildered and displeased at this bizarre situation which had been thrust upon me, I ushered Katie into the living room and removed her hat and coat. She trembled violently. I went to the dining room and from a decanter in the sideboard poured a glass of wine and bringing it back pressed it to her lips. She drank it and the color gradually came back to her face, and the twitching of her muscles lessened. When she was calmer, I took her hands in mine, and looking her full in the face, in the manner which I had sometimes used to quiet a hysterical pupil, I said slowly, "'Listen to me, Katie. You are not going to be put in prison. Mr. Graham will not harm you in the least, but he wishes to talk to you.' and you must listen to what he has to say. Her answer was to seize my hand and cover it with tearful kisses. I detest any exhibition of emotion, and this girl's utter abandonment to whatever grief or terror was hers irritated me, but I tried not to show my feelings. I merely patted her head and said, Come, Katie, you must stop this and listen to Mr. Graham. Katie obediently wiped her eyes and sat up very straight. "'I am all right now,' she said quaveringly. "'He can come. I tell him everything.' Still very nervous, but calmer than she had been, Katie remained quiet when I raised my voice to reach Dickie waiting in the adjoining room. "'Oh, Dickie,' I called, "'you may come now.' Dickie drew a low chair in front of the couch where we sat. "'Tell me first, Katie,' he said kindly. "'Why do you think I want to put you in prison? "'Because of the money? "'Never mind that. "'I want to talk to you of something else.' "'But Katie was hysterically tugging at the neck of her gown. "'From inside her bodice she took a tiny chamois skin bag "'and ripping it open took out a carefully folded bill "'and handed it to Dicky. "'I never spend that money,' she said. I never mean to steal it, but I had to go away queek from your flat, and I never, never dare come back, give you the money. After two months, send my cousin to the flat. 
but he say you move no no where there i always keep the money here i think maybe some time i find out where you live and write a letter to you send the money dicky took the bill and unfolded it curiously a brown stain ran irregularly across one half of it well i'll be eternally blessed he ejaculated if it isn't the identical bill i gave her ten-dollar bills were not so plentiful three years ago and i remember this one so distinctly because of the stain the boys used to say i must have murdered somebody to get it and that it was stained with blood he turned to katie again the money is nothing katie why did you run away that day i never have been able to finish that picture since katie's eyes dropped her cheeks flushed i shame to tell she murmured dicky muttered an oath beneath his breath i thought so he said slowly then he spoke sternly never mind being ashamed to tell katie i want the truth i worked at your portrait that morning and then i had to go to the studio when i came back you had gone bag and baggage and with the money i gave you to pay the tailor i never could finish that picture and it would have brought me a nice little sum my brain was whirling by this time dicky in a flat with this ignorant polish girl paying his tailor bills and posing for portraits what did it all mean where did you go dicky persisted katie lifted her head and looked at him proudly you know when you left that morning mr lestaire he was painting too well mr graham i always good girl in old country and here i go to confession i always keep good mr lestaire he kiss me say bad things to me he scare me i afraid if i stay i no be good girl so i run queek away i never dare come back that mr lestaire he one bad man one devil Dicky whistled softly. "'So that was it,' he said. "'Well, that was just about what that pup would do. That was one reason I got out of our housekeeping arrangements. He set too swift a pace for me, and that was going some in those days.' He turned to Katie, smiling. "'You see, you don't have to be afraid any more. I'm a respectable married man now, and it's perfectly safe for you to work here.' mrs graham will take care of you run along about your work now that's a good girl katie giggled appreciatively her mercurial temperament had already sent her from the depths to the heights the dinner all spoiled while i cry like a fool she said you ready pretty soon i serve she hastened to the kitchen and i turned to dicky inquiringly i suppose you think you have gotten into a lunatic asylum madge of all the queer things that katie should apply for a job here and that you should take her i didn't know you ever kept house in a flat before dicky it was a very short experience he returned only three months four of us lester atwood bates and myself pooled our rather scanty funds and rented a small apartment we advertised for a general housekeeper and katie answered the advertisement she had been over from poland only a year at a cousin's somewhere on the east side 
and she used to annoy us awfully getting to the flat so early in the morning and cleaning our living-room while we were trying to sleep. But she was a crackerjack worker, so we put up with her superfluous energy in cleaning. Then one day I discovered her standing with a letter in her hand, looking off into space with her eyes full of misery. She had heard of some relative. Of course you wanted to paint her, I suggested. You bet, Dicky returned. The idea came to me in a flash. You can see what a heroic figure she was. I had her get into her Polish dress. She had brought one with her from the old country, and I painted her as Poland, miserable, unhappy Poland. Gee, but I'm glad you happened to run across her. We'll put up with anything from her until I get that picture done. Try as I might, I could not share Dicky's enthusiasm. I knew it was petty, but the idea of my maid acting as Dicky's model jarred my ideas of the fitness of things. But I had sense enough to hold my peace. End of chapter 6